It's a little bit behind time. Did everybody get plenty of time to discuss the questions? Good. Good evening. I am Deb Haygood, and I am so glad to be here tonight. And it's just such a thrill to see all of you, all of these bright, shiny faces. It's my pleasure and privilege tonight to talk about Amy Carmichael. She is a missionary that is primarily known for her work in India, uh, where she began the Donover Fellowship that became a sanctuary for over a thousand children who would have had a very bleak and um, painful future without Amy Carmichael. And I think it's very fitting that we talk about Amy Carmichael tonight because it is kids camp going on. That's the new term for old-fashioned vacation Bible school. And we've had almost 800 kids running all over this church. Today was a rain day, so they really were running all over the church, and it was pretty fun to see. So I... uh And as you can see behind me, there's going to be a little puppet show tomorrow, Uh, so we're down in front of that tonight. Um, I ran home and took off my turquoise kids uh, camp t-shirt and put on my blue outfit because blue is Amy Carmichael's happy color. That makes her happy, and that works out pretty well for me because blue is also the color that makes me happy. Uh, I would have loved to have heard what you all said about that. I understand when Amy says blue just would make her happy because my house has a lot of blue in it, and that's how I feel when I, when I walk in. Amy's story is one of wholehearted commitment and obedience to Jesus, and that's what, one of the things I love about it. She is wholeheartedly, 100% sold out to following Jesus This summer, we've been looking at other contemporary Christians who um, answered yes when Jesus said, come, follow me. We are ending our whole year study of come, follow me with Amy, uh, with this uh, contemporary Christians. And so we've got one more next week. So y'all come and hear Lynn Kitchens is going to talk to us. And then we're going, we haven't mentioned that yet, but in the fall, we're going to start September 11th with our fall Bible study. So you might want to make a note of that. Um, September 11th. We'll be glad to see all of you there. I loved studying about Amy Carmichael because she listened to God. She listened to God. Has God ever spoken to you? And a better question might be, do you think that we can hear the voice of Jesus today? That's one of the reasons I love studying about Amy, because that helped answer for me again that question. Can we hear the voice of Jesus You know, hearing is one of our five senses, and the older I get, the more precious it becomes because I think I'm kind of losing it, and that's because my children keep telling me that, that um, they're trying to convince me I need hearing aids. But I do have a couple of funny stories from our Africa trip. I'm just going to tell one of them tonight. You're going to hear lots of African stories from here to Christmas. But when we were in Zanzibar, those of you that don't know, eight of us went on a Christian um, leadership conference to African women in Zanzibar. And we had a van trip that took about 20 minutes every day going to the conference center. And then in the evening, we'd have 20 minutes back to where we were staying. And so it was a 10-passenger van, and there were 12 of us. So we were... Um, no. Yes, that's right, because there were eight of us and then four of the Africans, the driver and those that were helping. And so we were a little crowded. It was hot, and we had the windows down, so it was also a little noisy. So factor that into the story. But anyway, 
next to me was sitting a friend, and I think it might have been Lynn, and she looked out, and she said, hey, there's a white cat. Well, we hadn't seen any cats the whole time, and we'd been talking about that, because we thought that was interesting, that that always makes you kind of wonder when you don't see dogs and cats, and the food that you're eating is a little curious. So anyway, we hadn't seen any. She goes, there's a white cat. And I said, wow, you know, we hadn't seen any of those yet. And my friend in front, Karen, turned around and said, what do you mean you haven't seen any? I've seen them. And I said, really? And she goes, yeah, lots of straw hats. And I said, straw hats? We're talking about white cats. And then someone else went on. So anyway, we laughed and uh, went on our way. And that's just one story. So it's not always easy to hear one another. So how do we hear God? I realized as I read back through the biography of Amy Carmichael that Amy talks about hearing God's voice. And a couple times she really literally felt like she heard a voice. But it was interesting to me, every time she heard God's voice, it was always scripture. What she heard was always a scripture verse. And I thought that makes sense because the Bible is God's word. Scripture is God's word. Now, I don't know if you will ever hear God's voice audibly out loud, but this is God's word. And so we do hear the voice of Jesus through his word. This word of God speaks to us today. The story of Amy Carmichael began December 16, 1867, when she was born on the northern coast of Ireland. She was the oldest of seven children, and she tells us that she had a happy childhood. She learned to swim in the ocean. She went sailing. She rode horses. She was kind of the bossy big sister of her uh, siblings. She was energetic and adventuresome and headstrong and sometimes impulsive. Her family was God-fearing, strict Presbyterian, and they went to church every Sunday, and they read the Bible in their home daily. They also read many other books. Amy grew up loving literature, especially poetry. Then when she was 12, she was sent to boarding school. It was a Methodist boarding school in England. And while she was there, she said botany was her favorite subject. And it does, she does have a great story of a, of a flower box with chrysanthemums and lilies. And I think that was mainly what she studied while she was there. She was a bit of a ringleader among some of the other girls in the dorm. But she talked about being lonely and missing home. The one really significant thing that happened there, though, was when she was 16, she accepted the love of Jesus She did that while she was singing in the choir a new and popular song from the United States, and it was Jesus Loves Me. Tommy's going to put it up for us. And as she sang that first um, verse about Jesus Loves Me, she thought to herself, I know Jesus loves me. I've always known that. Even as a young child, her mother taught her to pray, and she would smooth out the sheet by the side of her bed, and she'd ask Jesus to sit there while she prayed. So she always knew that Jesus loved her. But she began to think, have I really accepted that love in my heart? And when she got to the last verse that talked about Jesus um, on the cross, I think it says there that he has bled and died for me, I will henceforth live for thee. She says that the pain that Jesus bore on the cross seemed to crush her. And at that 
moment, as she was singing, she said she asked Jesus to come into her heart, that she was going to accept that. And she said she had this great soaring feeling. And she determined from that point on that she would live for Jesus, as it says in that last line. And so throughout her life, she did that. She was living for Jesus A few months later, the school year ended, her father came back to the boarding school, and he took her back home to Ireland. Money had become tight, they were in a financial bind, and so she was no longer going to go to school, and they had moved to Belfast. And during this time, two very significant things happened that would change um, the course of what Amy would do living for Jesus. The first one happened with her mother on a cold, rainy day in Belfast. They went to a tea room, and as they were in there, she saw a little girl peering through the glass and looking at the sweets, and Amy thought, oh, isn't that cute? And then when she walked out, she realized the little girl only had on a thin dress, and she was barefoot on this cold day. And it so touched Amy's heart that she went home that night, and she wrote this verse, and I want you to remember this because it's going to come into play later. It said, when I grow up and money have, I know what I will do. I'll build a great big lovely place for little girls like you. And then she prayed, God, tell me what I should do. A couple months later, the second event happened, and it was on a Sunday afternoon, and she was coming out of church with her family, and she saw this shabby, dirty, old woman carrying a bundle, and she was having difficulty walking. So she grabbed her two brothers, and they began to help this old woman down the street. And as she was walking along, she realized that the people coming out of the church began to look at her, and she became very embarrassed, and she thought, oh my, what are these people thinking about me and my family as I'm walking along with this dirty, shabby woman? And it was a few minutes after that that she heard for the first time this voice, and what it said to her is on your verse sheet, she heard this voice that said, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, His work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. She heard that clearly, and she went uh, home that night, and she began to think about it, and she thought, that is God speaking to me. And she thought, my charitable act that caused me so much embarrassment was hay and stubble. And she began to pray, God, let me serve you with gold. And this was a prayer of Amy's throughout her life that she would talk about serving God with gold. She began to go out into the slums of Belfast with her pastor, and she would invite the little children into their church on Saturday mornings. And she had this little kids' camp, and she um, played with them and read them Bible stories. And pretty soon, young uh, women began to come with them. And they were the factory girls, and they were called shawlies because they wore these shawls, and they would even cover their head with the shawls because they didn't have enough money for a hat. So these shawlies would come, and they began to be so numerous that Amy would teach them at night, and she taught them etiquette, and she taught them hygiene, as well as Bible stories. And pretty soon, so many were coming that they couldn't fit into the church. And so she prayed and asked God for a bigger place. He sent a wealthy woman her way that built a tin prefabricated building, I didn't know they had them then, that would house all these women, and Amy called it the welcome hall. 
Well, her work with the Shawleys became so uh, well-known that they heard about it in England, and soon a wealthy mill owner there asked Amy to come to Manchester, England, and to start a welcome hall there for the factory girls. So she left Belfast in the capable hands of some friends, and she went to Manchester, England. While she was there, a lot of spiritual things were going on at that time. And this is when she met um, Robert Wilson. He was an older gentleman, excuse me, that was well-respected in the spiritual um, Christian community. And he became a great family friend and was like a second father to Amy because her father had um, passed away. So when she became very ill in Manchester, she went to the home of Robert Wilson to recuperate. And while she was there, she grew in her understanding of the spiritual life. He gave her many books to read. The Imitation of Life by Thomas Akempis was one of her favorites. Pilgrim's Progress. She read about Julian of Norwich and Brother Lawrence, his book on practicing the presence of God. They also read the Bible, and they would discuss it, and he would talk about doctrine. And he says that he taught her to become a deep well. During this time, she was also asked to write an article for a mission magazine about her work with the Shawleys. Well, she loved to write, but she felt very um, ill-equipped to do this. And again, she heard a voice, and this time it said, Do not fear. I will hold you by my right hand. And that is a verse, I've written the whole verse out from Isaiah 41.10. I will hold you by my righteous hand. And so she took that as a word from God to go ahead and to write this um, article. And this would become the first of many articles and books that Amy would write throughout her life. There were two other verses that were very important to her during that time that she had heard and they um, stuck with her. One of them was Jude 24 on your verse sheet. And it was this very first part. This is a really beautiful verse. But this first part that says, To him who is able to keep you from falling, that part she wrote in the flyleaf of her Bible. The second verse that was important was 2 Corinthians 9.8. And it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Having this grace to abound in every good work was very meaningful to Amy, and she felt like God was going to use these in her life as she went out to serve him. And the reason she felt like she was going out was due to this last verse I have on your sheet, Psalm 121, 8. The part where it says, The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. As she read that, the going out struck her. It says going out in the King James Version. And she asked the Lord, Am I to go out? Am I to go out? Where am I to go? And so uh, through many um, months of prayer and other people's involvement, she uh, ended up on a boat going to Japan And she arrived there in April 1893. Amy was 25 years old. Now, she would only be in Japan for a year and a half, but she learned some very important things about mission work while she was there that would stick with her for the rest of her life. 
Um, the first one, and let me set this up for you. This is the late 1800s with the British Empire, and as the English traveled, you might uh, know some of this history, they were very British, and they took their British clothes with them, and they took their British customs, and they drank high tea, and they had their cocktails, and that's how they went, even the missionaries, out to these foreign places. Well, this began to really bother Amy, and so when she was in Japan... She went one day, she tells a story of going to an elderly Japanese woman who was ill, and she took her interpreter with her, and she was telling her the story of Jesus. Now, it was a cold day, and so Amy, you can picture, in her tweed long coat with her long dress underneath, and she had her fur-lined gloves on her hands, and she began to tell the story of Jesus, and Amy says it was going very well, the old older woman was asking questions and she seemed like she was on the verge of accepting Christ when she noticed these gloves that Amy was wearing. And she said to the interpreter, what is that on her hands? What are those? Well, the moment was broken. The woman was elderly and easily distracted and they could not get back to the conversation. Amy went home that night and she wrote in her diary, I took off my English clothes and I put on a kimono, which was blue, and that she wore for the rest of her time in Japan. She also began to eat more and more of the Japanese food, not just rice, but all kinds of unidentified eggs, raw fish, seaweed, and even sea slugs. And she says the more that she embraced the Japanese culture, the more the people were open to hearing her talk about Jesus. The second thing that she learned was how important it was to learn the language of the people. Now, she had been studying Japanese ever since she got to Japan, but she found it very difficult to learn. So she traveled with an interpreter the whole time she was there. And I can understand this because when we were in Zanzibar, the women only spoke Swahili. We had prayed for eight translators, and I think we really only had maybe six that really spoke good English. And so we had translators that talked to the women in Swahili for us. And the phrase lost in translation has a whole new meaning for me because it's not easy to really get your point across through a translator. And Amy learned that. And she thought it's important for me to know the language. But not only was she having difficulty learning Japanese, she also began to suffer severe agonizing headaches. And after a couple of months, she went to the doctor and said, what is the problem? And he diagnosed it as Japanese head. That's what they called it. And when she said, what is the cure? He said, well, there is no cure except to leave Japan. So Amy was pretty sad and upset over that news. And shortly after that, she received word from England that her dear friend and mentor, Robert Wilson, had suffered a stroke. So soon Amy was on a boat headed back to England. But her friends and her mother realized very quickly that Amy was not happy. She still felt like she was to go out, but she felt like she had failed with her mission work in Japan. And she writes in her diary that I failed on two fronts. I failed because my health is fragile and I failed to learn the Japanese language. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like I want to do God's work? I felt like I've gone out to do God's work or gone to a place where he wanted me or been involved in something and you just weren't successful? You thought, I'm, I'm not successful at that. Well, as we look at Amy's story, I just want to encourage you to keep praying and seeking God and to maybe go on and try it again. 
Maybe God wants you to try it just a little bit different or to just persevere in that, even though you feel unsuccessful. Shelley reminded me of a story when we were in Zanzibar about Thursday night Bible study. Now, some of you have heard this before, but when we started Thursday night Bible study, very few people came. We had this morning Bible study, and people had said, what about the working women? And so we thought, okay, we'll do Thursday night Bible study. But um, time passed, and not very many people came, and the teachers would say to us, do you think you really need this? And I'm talking about not very many, like four or five or six or eight, if it was a really big night. So Shelly and I got together, and we thought, we're going to pray. And we're going to say, God, if you want us to have Thursday night Bible study, then next week send ten women. Now, I don't know whose thought this was, if it was Shelly's or mine, but we prayed, and we asked for the ten women, and we went home, and we prayed some more for ten women, and we came back, and the women came in and sat down, and we counted, and it didn't take very long because there were only four women. And my heart just sank because I really felt like we should do this. And so we sat through the Bible study, and it was good with the four women. And that night we looked at each other, and it was so funny because we were both feeling the same thing. And that was, God doesn't want us to give up Thursday night Bible study. We didn't get ten women, but we're not going to give up on Thursday night Bible study. And so we kept praying and plugging along and persevering. And look at this tonight. It's the week of kids camp in June, and there's probably, I don't know, what, 45 at least here tonight. There was, what, over 100 when we started in September for Thursday night Bible study. So I'm glad that we persevered. But on the surface, at first, we didn't seem very successful. Amy Carmichael felt like she needed to go forth as well. And so she did, through a series of events. Through a series of events, she ended up going to Bangalore, India, in October of 1895. Getting excited. When she landed in India, which uh, this is a very southern part of it, in 1985, she did not know that she would never go back to England again. She would be in India 56 years. So although her uh, little time in Japan was only a year and a half, once she got to India, she was there for 56 years. She immediately began to learn the culture. She began to study the religions. The two main religions then were um, Hinduism and Muslim. She took off her English clothes, and she put on a Indian sari. That's that big piece of cloth that wraps around the waist and then goes across the chest and over the shoulder. And they'd wear little blouses underneath it. She wore those all the rest of her years in India. And it says that she started to learn the language of India, which was Tamil, which is also a very difficult language to learn. But this time, a man that was a uh, missionary a little farther south, almost at the very southern tip of India, his name was Robert Walker, invited her to come and live with his family and to learn the language. He said, I will teach you how to speak Tamil. And that's what she did. She went down there. And when she wasn't speaking the language and practicing, she gathered up three Indian women that had become believers, and they would go out to the villages, and they would talk to the people about Christ. And that little group was called the Starry Cluster. She always had these real um, poetic names for everything. And they did that for uh, several years until one day a very uh, important event happened. 
This was in 1901, and this would forever change the direction of Amy's ministry. A Christian Indian woman brought a seven-year-old little girl whose name was Prina to Amy, and she said this little girl had been taken to the temple to become a temple prostitute. Well, Amy was just, you know, made and could really hardly believe her ears as the woman began to explain this practice that went on in India, that they would take, families would give up their little seven-year-old girls, they would take them to the temples, they would learn to dance um, and sing to the gods, and then when they were a little bit older, they were used to entertain the Hindu men that would come to the temple. This little girl had... um, run away, and this lady had found her and had brought her to Amy. As Amy picked up Prina to hug her, she realized that her hands had these healing scars on it, and the lady explained those were burns that they had used as punishment when she had tried to run away before. It was at that time that Amy decided to give her sanctuary. Thomas Walker, the missionary family she was living with, he began to help with the English, uh, with the legal issues And slowly, more little girls began to come to Amy Carmichael. They would call Amy Ama, which is the Indian word for mother. This became Amy's ministry. More little girls came. She would give them sanctuary, and she would even go out to um, be active in rescuing them. This is where the story of the blue eyes comes in. I'll tell it real quickly. When she was a little girl, she had prayed for blue eyes, and she knew that God answered prayer because her mother told her. So she jumped up the next morning, and she looked in the mirror, and there were her dark brown eyes. Well, she was very disappointed, and she didn't understand that. But a few years later, she realized sometimes God answers prayer by saying yes, but sometimes he says wait, and sometimes he says no. And she wrote a little poem about that. Well, it was one night that she was actually going out to rescue some, a little uh, girl from a temple prostitution, and she was dressed, and they had dressed her as an Indian woman, and they had stained her face with tea, and she was wrapped up in her sari, and as she looked in the mirror, she thought, I look just like a woman from India, and suddenly she realized that those dark brown eyes were part of the reason that if she had the bright blue eyes she had prayed for, that they would have known right off that she was a foreigner and not an Indian woman. And she realized then how, why God answers no, that there's sometimes very good reasons that we don't find out about till much later in life. She went on um, taking in little girls until there were quite a few of them. And she began to pray for a bigger place. She needed a bigger place to house these. And God answered that prayer with a rundown bungalow that had four other little buildings on it. And this became Donover Fellowship. And you see how it sounds a lot like that little poem when she said, When I have money, I will build a lovely place for little girls. And that is what Donover Fellowship became. Over the next 30 years, Amy would pray for workers to come. She would pray for teachers to come. She would pray for medical personnel to come. And God answered that by sending those people. Money would come her way. They would build more buildings until, um, as I had said before, over 1,000 children came through Donover Fellowship uh, during Amy's lifetime. She prayed for male leadership because there were also little boys that were taken into temple um, to have different things done to them. And soon male leadership came and she began to take little boys in as well. 
Their lives were um, filled with strict discipline and chores, but there was always um, much love everywhere. Amy, it talks about how Amy would go around at night and kiss the little children goodnight. They had education, but they also had lots of time to play with the animals that Amy loved to have there, monkeys and squirrels and all kinds of birds. She also would celebrate what she called their coming day. Many of these children didn't know their birthday, and so Amy would record when they came to Donover Fellowship, and that would be their coming day, and every year they'd celebrate that. She would decorate their room with flowers. We remember she loved botany, and so there were always many flowers at Donover Fellowship. She would give them a small present, and they would celebrate their coming day. Amy was also very strict about hygiene. She knew in the very beginning, when she didn't have any medical personnel, that her only defense against all the Indian diseases was strict hygiene. And so every day they would sweep out um, their little rooms, and they always had uh, places to bathe and clean clothes. And this was pretty foreign to the Indian culture of that time. And it's interesting to me, the nurses in the room will appreciate, there was never even one case of cholera in Donover Fellowship in all the years that she was there. Now, that is a disease that pretty much ran rampant through India. It's highly infectious, very contagious, and it spreads quickly and is generally fatal. And so to not even have one case speaks very uh, much of God's protection and Amy's um, strict hygiene. The children grew up with joy and the love of Jesus permeating their lives. Amy talked a lot about love. The love of Jesus was important to her. And I have this story that um, she wrote. She would send little notes to the troubled kids, notes of encouragement. And I love this one little tender note that she wrote to one child. I wonder what your biggest temptation is. Is it to be suddenly angry? That was mine when I was a little girl. I used to feel something like fire suddenly burning up in my heart. If you feel like that, ask the Lord Jesus to pour his cool, kind, gentle love into your heart instead. Never go on being angry with anyone. Be Jesus' little peacemaker. There's also stories about how she would talk about them loving each other, and sometimes they would be in prayer meetings, and she would feel like there was unlove in the group. And so she would stop the prayer meeting, and she would say, everyone scatter. And if there's someone that has unlove in their heart for another, pray about that, and then go and make amends. She always called Jesus her beloved, and she said how Jesus had given so much in loving us that the very least we could do is to show him love by loving each other. So this was a message. Love was very um, spoken about a great deal at Donover Fellowship. Then in 1931, Amy was 63 years old. She was driving out to visit a site where there was some building going on. It was twilight and dim. When she got out of her little car that the driver had taken her in, she walked and suddenly fell into a deep pit that had been dug in a place that she wasn't expecting. She was very badly hurt, but they got her out. They got her, after a long and painful ride, to a hospital where they did surgery on her leg, but Amy was really never able to walk very well again. She also experienced much pain and, before long, became totally bedridden. For 20 years, Amy Carmichael ran Donover Fellowship pretty much from her bedroom. 
She was heartbroken over her confinement, but she felt like God was not finished with her um, yet, that he still had work for her to do before he would take her on. And that work ended up being primarily writing. She first started writing notes to all the children and the workers at Donover Fellowship, words of encouragement and instruction. She wrote devotionals. And uh, then they were compiled. She also wrote other books during this time, books of people and about people that had been there and things that had happened. But her uh, devotionals were collected in several books, and one of them I have is called The Edges of His Ways. And it's wonderful to read this and see the different scriptures that Amy had looked at and thought about, prayed over, and the different um, kind of insights that she had into scripture. And some of those thoughts were compiled into some different devotionals. She wrote many books during this time that the whole world got to enjoy. And then at the age of 83, Amy went home to be with her beloved. She went to Jesus. You know, Amy's story inspires me in so many ways. It's a story of great joy. It's a story of how much um, the other women that helped her, what that meant to her. It's a story of how great her prayer life is. It's a story of great love. But what was most um, impressive was the way she loved God's word and how she uh, would meditate on it and put it into her heart and how that is the way God spoke through her through uh, the word of God that she had meditated on. So I want us to look quickly at Joshua chapter 1, and I want us to see what God says about meditation. Chapter 1 of Joshua, and we're going to start uh, with verse 6. And let me just tell you real quickly, you all probably remember, but Moses has just died, and Joshua is going to be taking over, leading the Israelites. Now, there's two million of them, and he's going to be taking them across the Jordan River and into the promised land because Moses has left him in charge. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty scary for me. And this is what God says to Joshua, verse 6 in chapter 1. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, I love this. I love that God said to Joshua, I will be with you. So do not be afraid. Be courageous. I will be with you. But look what else he says to him. He says, meditate on my word day and night. The book of the law. The book of the law was the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy was the Pentateuch. It was all that they had then. And God tells Joshua, meditate on this day and night so that you might be successful. Now, I think that's pretty amazing. God is going to be with Joshua, but he tells him, even so, meditate on my word. 
how important that is that God is saying to him, meditate on my word. What is the definition of meditation? That was something that you all talked about in your small group. I have a couple of definitions here. Careful consideration. Meditating on God's word is thinking and concentrating. It's contemplating a passage. Ponder. One of the little gals in Africa told me that it is thinking deep, not like you read a newspaper. So I like that. It's thinking deep on the scripture. My Bible had a definition here that said God wants us to meditate on his word with the goal of focusing attention on God's reality. On God's reality, not what we think is real, but on what God says is real. And seeking to develop a sense of his presence. When we do that, we grow in trust and reverence and joy. And I love that because you can see those things in Amy's life. She was very joyful. She was always looking for the joy in what she did. And she was always trusted Jesus. She used the word lean against. So she would, whenever she would say trust, we would say trust. She'd say lean against Jesus. That's what happens when we meditate and we become aware of God. We grow in our trust and reverence and joy. Meditation is how God's word goes deep within us and changes us. And when his word is in our heart, then the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Then we hear God when we need direction. Then we hear God when we need encouragement. We hear God when we need counsel. Then we hear God when we need um, confidence because we're scared or discouraged. Then we can hear God to comfort us when we're sad. I have a story of when I was young. Um, Scott and I had some very good friends that lost their um, baby to sudden infant death syndrome. And they called us from the hospital. The ambulance had taken them and the baby to the hospital. There was no reviving the baby. And they had called us early on a Sunday morning. Um, it was my birthday, and I was 29 years old that day. So I was, I was young, and I was devastated. I had a nine-month-old baby boy myself, and the thought of losing a child was almost more than I could bear. We didn't know what to do, but we ju- they said, come. And so we jumped in our car, and we went um, to meet them, praying the whole way, God, what do we say? What do we do in this situation? When we got to the hospital, my friend was still holding the baby, and the nurses were trying to figure out how to take the baby from her. And I went in and hugged her, and I said, let him go. And she said, where is he now? Where is Ryan? And I said, he's in heaven. He is in heaven with Jesus. And she said, do you really believe that? And I said, yes, I do. And then she asked me, how do I know? And I don't remember saying this to her, but she told me this years later and how it had helped her. And she said that I said, um, I know this because in Matthew it talks about Jesus loved the little children. And he said, let the little children come to me. And I said, and we know that when the thief on the cross believed in Jesus, Jesus told him, you will be with me today in paradise. So right now, I know that he is in heaven with Jesus. Now you may say to yourself, hey, I know that. That's not very much. Um, But at the time when I was in shock and I was young and sad and um, I don't know that if I hadn't thought about that verse in Matthew where he said, let the little children come to me. And if I hadn't contemplated that story of the thief on the cross and really thought to myself, 
how do, when do we get to heaven? How does that work? And studied that and thought about that. So that I meditated and, and, and just that little bit that I knew, God was able to take that and comfort my friend. I've been more convinced this week as I've studied this that I don't meditate on God's word nearly enough. That um, I want to meditate uh, more and more. And I'm hoping that maybe some of you will have decided after this that you want to meditate on God's word as well. I've given you a little sheet. It uh, says it's Charles Stanley. I don't know where this came from. It was in a file that I had. I wasn't looking for it, but I thought, hey, I'm talking about meditation. We'll get this out. Um, and so you guys can look at that. Now, the ten things are Charles Stanley, but the verses from Psalm 119 are from me. So if they don't make good sense, don't blame me. But I've been, blame me, don't blame Charles Stanley. I was reading Psalm 119 this week and meditating on that, and it seemed like a lot of those verses fit with those thoughts on meditation. When he says success there at the top, he gets that from this verse in Joshua 1 where it says meditate on his word that you might be successful. I want to close with a few words from Amy Carmichael on distractions. Um, I was thinking a lot about distractions this week and what to say, what do we do when we're meditating on scripture and we become distracted and I really didn't have any good thoughts and as I was reading through this devotional yesterday, I realized that the devotion for tomorrow morning by Amy Carmichael is called Distractions and I'm not going to read it all but this is what she uh, says. Do not fuss, do not worry, do not spend time wondering why that thought came just then or that other interruption was allowed, for that is playing into the enemy's hands. But as soon as you are conscious that you have been drawn away, peacefully come back again. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. That's a verse from Psalm 116.7. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. So... Don't be worried or fuss if you become distracted as you're meditating on the Word of God. Just come back gently to His Word. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this night that we can come together. Father, thank you for the life of Amy Carmichael and how you used her in such a mighty way. Thank you for her example of studying scripture and memorizing it and meditating on it so that all of her life, Lord, her decisions were made because she heard your voice through scripture. Father, thank you for these women that come. And Father, just because they're here tonight, I know that they love your word and that they um, do care about meditating on it and knowing and hearing you. Father, I pray that we would go out, Lord, that we would be ever mindful that you have given us a great gift with your word. Father, I pray that we would um, take advantage of that. Lord, that we might read your word and study it, and that you would put it deep into our hearts, Lord, so that we can hear your voice in those times when we most need to hear you. We love you, Lord, and I ask these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Good night, ladies.